Good afternoon, everybody. It's Steph. It is 5.09pm on Thursday, February the 2nd. I hope you're doing well. Uh, i got to tell you, I had this funny email today from a guy. Um, no disrespect intended to him. I always appreciate uh, any email that I get. <laughs> but he was sort of saying, listen, Steph, quantity is not quality. And uh, was sort of, not chiding me exactly, but sort of saying, uh, you know, it's hard to keep up. You do an hour a day. <laughs> And uh, we only have so much time to listen. And look, I fully understand that. I'm not expecting anybody to keep up. Um, but the truth of the matter is I just don't have that long to live and I have to get all my words out. No, I don't. I'm fine. I'm actually in perfect health. But um, look, I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the ferret on the double espresso chattering away into the microphone here. Uh, I'm certainly not expecting everybody to listen to me for an hour a day. Um, you know, if you want to and you enjoy it, fantastic. If not, you know, skip some time, pick and choose, mix and match. It could be a bits and bites kind of intellectual um, uh, schmorgesborg buffet that you can pick from. Uh, because, you know, not all topics are of equal interest, interest to, uh, to everybody. But, uh, you know, my, my, I sort of have to do an hour uh, because I'm going to do them during my drive because otherwise, uh, you know, I'm just left alone with my own thoughts and that's no good. <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, you know, I sort of have a, a 30 to 40 minute commute each way each day. And, you know, making audiobooks, I guess, is a little bit more exciting than listening to them. Uh, as what I used to do, and if you were sort of like this, it's a sort of neat idea, is you can buy the sort of text-to-speech programs and you can grab a bunch of articles from LewRockwell.com or Harry Brown or Anti-War or wherever it is you go for your information, and you can just sort of have them read as into an MP3 file by these programs, put them on your portable player, your Rio, your, I- your um, iPod or whatever, and play them through your car stereo. So I used to sort of pick up a lot of information that way. You know, I recently I've listened to you know a bunch, whole bunch of libertarian stuff from Charles Murray, uh, libertarianism in one lesson, um, economics in a, in one lesson, and so on. So you know, and of course all of the Harry Brown, all of Harry Brown stuff, and all the stuff from Mises.org, and you know, so I guess I spent the last couple of years with this commute picking up ideas on economics and philosophy and history and so on, which were all great fun. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, I, have ab- I have absorbed as much as I, I care to at the moment, and now it's time to, uh, to speak. So uh, I apologize if this seems like overwhelming, like you log into the podcast after a couple of days, and it's like, oh, my God, doesn't this man ever shut up? And uh, I fully understand that. Uh, I would suggest that you use EAX to speed up my voice, but then I'm just going to sound like a fax machine because I'm already kind of fast as it is. So I really can't help you other than to say pick and choose. And the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, if, if me or other people that you listen to, you feel that it's worth keeping up, uh, well, obviously, if you're in a commute that's about as long as mine, then we're kind of compatible that way, right? But the other thing, of course, is that, you know, I listen to uh, audiobooks or sometimes music when I'm, obviously, when I was driving. But, uh, you know, when I go to the gym, if I can't go with Christina for whatever reason, uh, I'll listen to um, uh, an audiobook or to uh, to music. You can do it while you're cleaning out your eaves troughs. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy who cleans the bathrooms, the three bathrooms in our household, so... Uh, I do it then, and uh, I do it when I'm tidying. Uh, I mean, I just like it. I I also do it... uh, I'm trying to sort of... uh, I never have had to wear glasses, and I'm trying to sort of extend my eyesight as much as possible by uh, listening to audiobooks rather than reading books at night, So because I work with computers uh, for a good chunk of my day. So, uh, you know, there's lots of places you can listen to uh, audiobooks, if you like, or to to me or to other people. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is... uh, Suck it up. Just get it done. <laughs> no, you know, I just... Uh, and I can't, I can't do less than half an hour or 40 minutes in uh, in my car because, uh, you know, I sort of 
have the laptop in the passenger seat and it's chugging away and I can't just sort of up and sort of put it on pause and you know I've got to do a sort of stream of consciousness from beginning to end because I really am not going to get much of a chance to do it uh, in the uh, uh, in the evenings when I get home because uh, I'm busy and you know want to spend time with my wife but uh, so and I but I can't sort of stop it because I'm you know I don't mind doing a podcast while I'm driving but I do kind of draw the line at working a mouse and clicking around to pause and stop and so on so I apologize if uh, if it's overwhelming but of course it's completely under your control so just uh, <laughs> you can turn me off at any time so to uh, to continue with um, with public education a fascinating fascinating topic and something which we all have direct reference to I mean most of us those of us who didn't go to Montessori or were homeschooled or something um, you know I sort of wanted to to point out you know the topics that are are not present uh, in public school ed- educational curriculum right curriculi curriculums and it's sort of it's fascinating really when you think about what's not there right I mean w- what's sort of missing well of course logic is is missing and logic is is one of the most difficult sciences, particularly uh, uh, sophistical or, uh, or abstract logical reasoning. In other words, not the manipulation of symbols or math or in math or physics or whatever, but the syllogistic reasoning is very hard because it's where you run bump up against your emotional prejudices and your own propaganda. Logic is, of course, the opposite. Logic and evidence, the opposite of propaganda and sophistry. And so uh, it's pretty hard for uh, teachers to be able to teach that. Right, I mean, because they're, you know, it's sort of well known that uh, teachers, particularly in the public school system, are, you know, they come from the bottom half of, of the academic world. It's not like you get all the people who are making 90s uh, or, you know, high 90s or even hundreds in their classes. Uh, those people don't become teachers uh, in general, right? The the vast majority of the teachers come from the bottom half of the um of the academic scale, so um, you know you're not getting the highest quality minds who are going into teaching. So they're not going to be able to deal with the really difficult questions. In other words, the most essential and important questions. Um, and uh, and also, uh, it's very hard for a teacher to, for instance, to use the argument from morality, right? To teach you something as basic and simple about morality, uh, something simple like. You know, what's good for one is good for all. The moral rules should apply to everyone equally throughout time. You know, because it's just so blatantly obvious that if you start going down that path, then public school, the public school system is revealed as, you know, a catastrophic moral evil. And it is, in, in my view, the most uh, catastrophic moral evil that, that exists in the world and is the major source of all of the horrors that are in the world, right? It's a sort of public school education. And... So a teacher cannot teach any kind of logical consistency because the ethics of using violence to force an education on children and to use violence even against those who don't have children or who educate their children themselves, to use violence to to, try, to get people to learn is kind of obviously evil and illogical and immoral. So you really you have an enormous central fuse that is built into the teaching of logic to children in public school. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? It would be like expecting the mafia school to teach pacifism, uh, and so, or you know, a military school, which is you know pretty much the same thing, or a military school to teach pacifism. It is counter to the very nature of the institution. 
the very foundations of the institution. So, you know, the, the idea of teaching any number of subjects within uh, schools uh, is completely impossible. And this is as true for most universities as it is for all public schools. So, for instance, they can't teach you philosophy. Um, of course, philosophy would be offensive to the majority of parents, right? And the fact that you have to kind of bake all of these different viewpoints into one public school pie is one of the reasons why you get this absurdly contentless education in the public school system, right? So if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm an a a atheist and I have a couple of Muslims in my class, uh, what's the teacher going to teach us about logic and about uh, reality and about empiricism, about the, the evidence of the senses and the role of the mind in perceiving reality and so on? Uh, because all of those questions are going to have explosive ramifications on things like the existence of God. So is she going to teach, you know, Allah Akbar, Allah God is great, or is she going to teach uh, that there's no such thing, and offend me, or is she going to teach that there's no such God, uh, there's no such thing as God, which would be a logical philosophical approach, and offend the Muslim kids, or uh, if not offending them, in fact they'd probably be pretty happy to relieve that, uh, relieve to hear there's no God to vastly offend the parents <coughs> of the Muslim kids. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's not something that most uh, teachers are, and schools are, are willing to do. So you can't talk about anything important in uh, um, in public school because there's such a wide diversity of opinions, and you can't even teach a methodology for determining truth for falsehood that has any validity because everything that everyone believes, including the teacher, is based on falsehoods and corruption and is, is immoral. So public schools have both practically and logically, sort of both at the surface level of conflicting belief and at the deeper level of everybody has corrupted belief systems that they view as virtuous, uh, you really can't talk about anything in, in public school. And, you know, this extraordinary vacuum that is a public school education where you're, you're trapped in this dead, empty, airless cell with other people who are asphyxiating around you for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, kind of significant, right? This is kind of how you kill a mind, right? You don't, you don't kill a mind by teaching it bad things. You kill a mind by teaching it nothing, right? You don't kill a body by, um, you know, giving it exercises that are not optimal. You kill a body by giving it, to, by strapping it to a, 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 um, uh, a bed and not allowing it to move. That causes atrophy and destruction. I mean, it's amazing. Like, within seven days of being in a hospital bed, you've lost, like, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of your muscle mass. Uh, so that's sort of important to understand, that <coughs> to keep a uh, curious and intelligent and alert child, as we all are, away from discovering the, the horrible truth about his society and his family, right, that is illogical and violent and hypocritical and destructive, you have to not teach the child, I mean, you have to teach the child empty positive slogans, of course, but more fundamentally than that, you have to asphyxiate the child through a complete um, withdrawal and, and uh, uh, keeping away from that child any, uh, any um, information of any kind of importance. So that's... Um, and, and then you have to humiliate the child for that lack of knowledge, right? That's another sort of very important thing. So when I got to university and we were doing, I took a course on law, and, you know, so, you know, when we were teaching, uh, when we were being taught law, you know, the question between natural and positive law, right? Is law uh, a reflection of 
uh, uh, sort of basic moral truths that exist in the world or in, in reality, or is it just a, a statement of a relationship of command, right, of, of violence? So is murder wrong because, like, does the law say murder is wrong because murder is wrong, or does the law say murder is wrong because the society happens to believe that murder is wrong? So, of course, I took a very strong naturalistic law, even back in my early 20s, as you can imagine. And uh, it was painful. It was absolutely painful to, to listen to the, uh, the other, uh, I guess, young adults try and argue anything. Um, because, first of all, it's a matter of definition. I, mean, I don't want to get into this, this whole argument, but it's just a matter of definition, right? If you define law as that which represents what is valid and true, then it's obviously naturalistic. And if you decide that it's just what everyone believes, it's just a different name for the same thing. Um, so, uh, you know, A, it didn't matter, but B, if law were to have any moral content, it had to be based on absolute moral rules. Otherwise, it was simply just a matter of opinion, and I could pass a law in my own household that said, you know, anybody who uh, um, glances at their feet should be put to death, and it's perfectly valid, and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and of course, you know, most of the people were into positive law because, you know, they hadn't had direct exposure, as most of the old, older generation did, to the horrors of Nazism, where they had a perfectly valid legal system that sent millions of people to their deaths, uh, you know, which you may think might give the, the positivistic lawyers or legal theorists some sort of pause, but uh, apparently not. So, of course, the last thing that you want to do is, uh, uh, is to teach anyone anything, of any value whatsoever, anything that's reproducible, anything that allows them to judge the present with reference to the past, anything which gives them principles that will be useful to them later in life. You, you can't allow any of that sort of stuff to happen in public school. And then later, what you do is you humiliate the children for not knowing stuff, right? So, uh, you know, when we got to, uh, this was, I think, first or second year university, when we were doing this course on natural law, so, or natural versus positive law, so everybody gets humiliated for not thinking through the basics, right? It's like, well, that may seem clever, but it's obviously this, or have you thought about that? So the professor's obviously read a lot more than he's actually taught. And then you humiliate uh, children for not knowing what has never been taught to them and which it took mankind thousands of years to develop. I mean, it's all a wonderfully tight, uh, empty, and sadistic little system. So, you know, you can't teach, um, uh, you can't teach uh, uh, logic. You can't teach philosophy. You can't really teach that much about uh, foreign uh, affairs or foreign policy, particularly in the, in the United States. Although I think there's a little bit more of that in university when you get to your lefty professors, but um, you can't teach a lot about that. You can't teach much about law at all because, you know, the laws of a country, uh, you know, there's like, <laughs> there's like two laws, right? Don't use violence and keep your promises, right? The sort of that's it. There's two laws. I mean, and I'm not saying that that would be true in an anarchistic, in a, an, um, sorry, in an anarchistic society, because you could have as many laws as you wanted in the sort of community that you were building. You could have, you know, the tomes of Hammurabi stretching from here to infinity as far as laws went, um, or you could just have two laws, like don't use violence and and keep your promises, uh, your legal, your contractual promises. Um, but, uh, you know, the laws in, in any given society are just so completely ridiculous, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of occasionally struck me that if I ever get nailed for <coughs> tax evasion, not that I've ever done anything wrong in that area, but, you know, you can always find something, right? <coughs> that if I were ever in court being arraigned on, on, uh, on charges of tax evasion, you know, I wouldn't hire a lawyer. What I would do is simply bring in book after book after book of Canadian tax law. And there are hundreds of these thick tomes, right? And just saying, so this is the law that you expect me to obey. And uh, there's not one person alive who can tell you the whole law. 
So there's no one that I can go to unless I'm willing to go to you know, dozens and dozens of experts, each of which who are going to have slightly contradictory opinions. This is the law that you expected me to obey, to obey and which you are punishing uh, me for not, um, not obeying. Uh, you know, that you're insane. Right? This simply is impossible. I mean, this is a scam, right? This is just a joke. Uh, and it's true. I mean, you can't, uh, if the moment you start t teaching the laws of the country, uh, you know, the country looks so ridiculous, it's ridiculous. <laughs> There's a no, no redundancy there, he said again. Um, so uh, they can't teach you anything about law. Uh, they can't teach you, it can't teach you anything about economics, for sure. For sure, you're not going to learn anything about economics. I mean, they'll give you all of the standard lefty insinuations of, you know, corporations are evil and the media is evil and, you know, globalization is evil and, you know, all this and transnational corporations of the devil's spawn and so on. But they, they can't teach you anything intelligent about economics because, um, you know, it quickly becomes clear then that uh, there's a big gap between the free market and the coercive state. They sure as heck can't teach you anything about the nature of the government. I mean, that's sort of number one in terms of things that you can't be taught about. Right, which is why people who've been paying taxes for 60 or 70 years are shocked when I tell them that the government is based on coercion. Although, you know, they understand it within about 0.02 seconds, um, it's never been made clear to them, which is something that's so completely self-evident and obvious that you're never going to hear it in public school. Like, just never. I mean, if, if you do hear it, the guy's going to be fired. Uh, whoever told you is going to be fired within about... Oh, I guess a point oh two seconds, right? I'm sure they have like voice recognition, two-way stuff in the PA system, which, you know, listens for the state. Uh, the state is evil, taxation is coercion, or whatever, and immediately just generates a pink slip for that uh, that teacher. So they can't teach you anything about the government. They can't teach you anything about the political system that you live under. They can't teach you anything about, um, uh, you know, the na nature of democracy, majority rule, and so on, and. Of course, because they can't teach you anything about any of these things in the present, they also can't teach you anything about them in the past, right? So it's not like you can talk about uh, brute majority rule in ancient Athens any more than you can talk about it now, because it would be just so obvious that, you know, any, any teacher which tells you these things, oh, you know, ancient uh, democracy, they could do whatever they wanted, and the majority ruled, and you say, well, how is that different from now? Well, uh, you know... Teachers don't like those kinds of questions, right? Because they're not there to educate the children, right? They're there to, they're to pick up a paycheck and dream about their two months off in the summer. Oh, I know, I know. Everybody knows a nice teacher and everybody knows a good teacher. But let me tell you a short story about um, a teacher whose names I can never remember because I can never remember details <laughs> of any kind. I'm more of a satellite view. Um, this uh, teacher, there was a movie in the 80s called Stand to Deliver about a Hispanic teacher in a very rough section of, I think it was Los Angeles. And he was just a brilliant teacher. And um, his uh, math students, like these Hispanic students uh, who everybody sort of writes off as go nowhere, do nothing kinds of kids, they end up, like he sparks their brains up something fierce. And they end up competing mightily in, um, you know, statewide math contests, coming in first, second, third, like capturing the, the top 15 spots and so on. And these are kids that, you know, everybody's given up on. Half of them are in gangs. There's unwed mothers and, you know, all this sort of crap. And, you know, he sparks up their brains and really makes them cook. And so what happens? Well, you'd think that, of course, I mean, if you didn't know anything about the state, you'd think, wow, of course, the union and everyone's going to be really happy about this, and they're going to try and figure out its methods and reproduce them as much as humanly possible. No, that's not going to happen. Oh, I just sound a bit like Dr. Cox from uh, Scrubs there. No, 
what happens, of course, is the union gets him dismissed. Uh, the union uh, fights him and fights him and fights him and finally gets him disbarred and then cheers and sends a letter around to everyone saying, hey, we finally got rid of the bastard. Uh, and why? Because, of course, when you have an exceptional teacher in a union environment, he exposes everybody else as the vicious, dumb, brute frauds that they are. So, uh, you know, there's simply no, no possibility that uh, teachers of any quality can last within a school system, a public school system. What you end up is a sort of droning, empty-headed zombies that uh, I had all the way through my school system. And this wasn't just in the public school system. I also went to boarding school when I was very young, and uh, there were some private school teachers. And they were, except, of course, they'd, most of them had been raised in the public school system as well. So, you know, they're all the same empty-headed zombies that uh, is droning away and boring the pants off everybody else in high school. I think it's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they just do a wonderful imitation of one of these just cripplingly dull uh, teachers, you know. Um, anybody know who caused the Great Depression of 1929? Anybody? Anybody? Yes, it was the federal tax fund. He's just brilliant. I mean, how you get, and everybody's just drooling and staring and you know, just and there's some fantastic songs about school. Of course, you know there's, uh, you know, not not so much now because you know it's important to talk about uh, TNA and puppy love, but you know in the past you had some great songs about school, which I think were pretty accurate in terms of their ability to cut to the core of what was going on in school. Right. So you had, um, you know, we don't need no education by Pink Floyd. I oh, said brick in the wall part two. I know, I know. For those '70s freaks, uh, I know what the name is. I left the album. And, you know, we don't need no education, we don't need no thought control, no dark sarcasm in the classroom. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. That is uh, a fantastic song, uh, because it does sort of get, particularly in the British school system, not so much in North America, this black sarcasm and hostility and destruction of, of teachers is pretty legendary. And then there's uh, School by Supertramp. Uh, so you think your schooling is funny, I guess it's hard not to agree. You say it all depends on the money and who is in your family tree. Uh, and I don't agree with that last statement so much, but, uh, you know, there's this wonderful thing about, uh, towards the end, you know, about you're supposed to shit, sit down and shut up and not take anything in it, and it says, uh, if you want to be that way, you're coming along, which is just wonderful, uh, because you are, because you're coming along, right? They want to slowly erase your personality and erase your capacity to think and reason and question and challenge and grow and learn and all the wonderful things that human beings can do when they're free, um, you know, and, and sort of incidentally, since somebody wrote me the other day and said, you know, uh, well, if there's no God, there's no meaning of life and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you, you know what? You only search for a meaning for life if you're not happy already. <laughs> i got to tell you, what's the meaning of my life? I don't really have to worry about it because I'm really enjoying uh, my days, my nights, my time, my thoughts, my conversations with all you wonderful people, you, you geniuses of the Internet. Um, I'm having a wonderful time. Uh, talking uh, and listening and thinking and, and writing and and uh, loving and uh, learning. So, you know, what is the purpose of my life? I mean, that's sort of silly, right? I mean, I don't need a purpose. I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> I mean, of course, that's the result of me having a purpose, like to learn and to grow and whatever, right? But uh, you know that somebody's depressed when they're asking you what the purpose of life is because it means that they're not happy and therefore they need some larger purpose. And, of course, that larger purpose is just going to make them more unhappy because it's not... Uh, it's about them serving something other than their own happiness, which is really what we should be doing, logically, and, you know, with an eye to long-term gains as well as short-term gains, but, you know, happiness is the point, purpose of life, and if you've achieved it, then you don't ask what the purpose of life is, because you're happy. Um, 
I don't think anybody, while actually having an orgasm, asks what the purpose of life is. <laughs> you know, I was going to mention something about heroin, but like I know anything about drugs. But, um, <clears throat> so that's sort of an important thing to understand about um, public education, right? I mean, it is uh, it is uh, a, a, a holding pen, right? It's a uh, um, it's a zoo where you keep uh, you keep children. And in particular, right, I mean, particularly it's bad for boys, right, especially these days. I mean, uh, you know, junior high, grade 7 and 9, forget about it. You can't think of a damn thing. I mean, your hormones are just going over your uh, brain like a tsunami. And, uh, you know, you really need to be out there and doing things and, and building things. And, you know, you're stuck in there listening to somebody drone on and on about, uh, you know, how to divide fractions uh, and how to do algebraic division and so on. Uh, it really is just the worst possible uh, pr place that you can put an active young mind, especially the sort of aggressively and outwardly active young minds that uh, boys generally have. I mean, women have their skills, girls have their skills and talents too, but uh, boys, you know, we learn by doing and we learn by, you know, arguing and we learn by, you know, that kind of stuff, whereas girls, so, you know, yeah, I don't want to get all, uh, uh, you know, uh, sugar and spice and all things nice, but, uh, you know, they really, uh, boys are made of uh, puppy dog tails. I think that's scientifically valid. So that, uh, that process of uh, making sure that you never communicate anything of substance is absolutely crucial uh, to understanding why people grow up with such a completely empty-headed and vacuous notion of the world that they live in. And, of course, why people are depressed and prone to uh, addictions and, and abuse and, and uh, overweight, uh, e eating too much and, and ending up overweight, and why they don't like to exercise and why they sort of veg out in front of television. You know, it's because they're mental cripples, and they're systematically crippled by the... Um, by the public school system, and you know, if, if you if you if you have evidence uh, to the contrary, fantastic. You know, I certainly would be be happy to hear it. I'm talking about my own experience, of course, and the experience of a large number of people that I went to school with, and we all look back, and it's like, well, what did you learn from school? And you know, you t you tell me this if you like. You know, well, what did you learn in the 14 years or 15 or 16 years that you were in school, or 25 if you're a grad student or a, a, a PhD uh, graduate? You know, <clears throat> what have you learned that is a principle that you can apply uh, to your life in general? I mean, that you didn't pick up from reading sort of sideline libertarian books that you can't bring up in class or reference as primary materials because everybody thinks you'd uh, you'd be ridiculous, right? I mean, I tried I tried that with Ayn Rand, and I mean, good luck. Nobody's going to let you get away with that at all. But um, you know, let me know. Let me know if you did pick anything up that was of any value whatsoever. You know, there's just a couple of things that I remember from my education. One is uh, some uh, history teacher uh, saying to me, um, or saying to the class as a whole, he'd, he'd actually written his own paper about the Cold War, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, he cared enough to write his own paper and hand it out in class. And the one phrase that I do remember from it was he was saying, this is back before the, um, uh, the after the Sino-Soviet split, but before the fall of the uh, um, Soviet Empire, of course, he said, you know, Russia and China, though they uh, appear superficially different, have uh, a great deal in common, right? And I can't remember anything other than this, that sentence. And, of course, you know, in hindsight, it's pretty clear to me that, uh, you know, what this did was it helped me to understand my mother and my brother, who, you know, were fighting like cats and dogs uh, during this time in my life. Uh, I guess I was uh, 15 or 14 or something. And uh, so, you know, you would sort of superficially think, oh, these people are so different. But uh, I think that, you know, these two totalitarian systems that are fighting at each other constantly uh, are fighting because of their similarities, not because of uh, their differences. And I think that's sort of what I got psychologically twigged onto from that. And that's sort of the phrase that I remember. Gosh, other than that, 
you know, when I look back on, you know, 12 or 14 years of, uh, I guess, was it 14 years of, of primary school, junior high and high school? Well, of course, you know, I have some math skills, but, you know, nothing that you couldn't teach me in a couple of days. Um, history, I remember almost nothing. Um, English, yeah, I read some okay books. But, of course, you know, they were never anything sort of important or anything that could give me any kind of uh, relevance to my adult life. And they're all kind of depressing, right, and, and weird. Uh, so, you know, we did uh, Catcher in the Rye, which is, you know, a funny uh, a funny and horrible little tale about the after effects of sexual abuse. Uh, we did The Diviners, a Margaret Lawrence novel. We did uh, Stone Angel, which was just, I mean, a straight shot of Novocaine to the brain. I mean, that, I swear to God, I was reading that and like, every... 10 pages, I'd realize I'd read 9 pages without absorbing anything, I'd go back and I'd fall asleep, uh, because, you know, it's the memories of an old woman in, in an Ontario, Canada, I mean, it's like, oh man, could you give anything less exciting to a 15-year-old boy? Uh, we did some Shakespeare, which everybody read out loud in class, because, um, you know, having us drone and mushmouth Shakespeare is a lot easier than having a teacher actually learn something about it and teach you about it, or should they wheel in the sort of... Um, the uh, the movies, right? And so they show us a movie, right? Because right? it's a lot easier to do that than to teach us anything. Um, we had lots of lots of spaced out teachers. Lots of them had body odor problems. Lots of them were just bizarre, and you know they dandruff, and they're just you know the life's losers, right? Sitting there in their unionized positions, uh, you know, boring to mindless mad frustration uh, or you know sort of apathetic indifference, uh, kids, right? And, you know, there were the disruptive kids, the kids who you sort of, one or two kids would beat their heads against the wall and they get sent to the principal's office. And, you know, we had the good kids and the band kids and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, everybody was just so lost and pathetic. And just we had to make up everything as we went along because we weren't given any rules for living whatsoever or any exposure to any knowledge that had any traction or depth or relevance or richness or, you know, anything like that. Because you have to sort of stay on the shallow surface emptiness of things because that's what a sociopathic personality does. And, of course, because the entire public school system is based on violence and brutality, uh, it is by its very nature sociopathic, right, which is why you end up with this shallow surface skimmery of everything with no depth and, you know, this, this series of disconnected empty factoids that add up to absolutely nothing. Uh, in your life. I mean, that's what uh, the public school educational system is, is really all about, uh, is, you know, providing a few technical skills so that you'll go out there and be a good taxpayer. But, you know, anything that you need to learn that has any economic relevance, you absolutely are going to end up having to learn on the job. And, you know, public school won't, uh, won't help you at all with that. And um, uh, the teachers are uh, completely indifferent to the progress of the students, right? I, I sort of remember one uh, teacher said to me, uh, you know, uh, well, Mr. Molyneux, if effort matched ability, you'd be an A+. Plus, right, because I, you know, I was obviously intelligent, but I guess I was obviously intelligent, but, you know, I never, I never did any work, right? I never did any homework. I never did any, uh, I mean, I took my books home every night in this sort of vague optimism that something might happen, a lightning might strike. Uh, but I, I never did any homework. I mean, other than I studied for a couple of tests and I would read the books that uh, I was supposed to read. But, I mean, it, my home environment was impossible to do any homework in. And so, you know, this was a sort of comment that 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 that, um, that uh, stuck with me because it was just so obviously uh, stupid and insulting, right? So if you have a kid, say like me, who's obviously got uh, you know a couple of brain cells and yet is not doing very well. I mean, I never got much more than Bs or B pluses, or I've got A pluses in English and so on. But you know, I was almost 50 to 60 percent in math, and science was like 60 to 70 percent, and then you know I got Bs in histories and B pluses and As and 
in English and so on. So the teachers were, you know, I guess this teacher was frustrated by my, what he considered to be my lack of willingness to apply myself. And so, of course, he said to me, well, if effort matched ability, you'd be an A+, right? So basically he's saying all you need to do is work a little harder. And I just found that to be a very telling comment about the psychology of public school teachers because it wasn't the only person I got those kinds of comments from. This was just the most succinct one. And it is really fantastic, really, when you think about it, that, of course, a teacher's job is to motivate uh, a pupil, right? A teacher's job is to help, um, you know, set on fire somebody's young mind and get them excited and curious and so on. I mean, in my own sort of little way, I guess I'm sort of trying to do that with people uh, through these podcasts, right? To just sort of say, you know, here's some logical structures, here's some possibilities, here's some thoughts that I have, here's the way that I work them out, and here's the evidence that I can bring to bear, and let's throw away our prejudices and really dig in and learn something independent of just everything we've been programmed to believe or not believe. I hope that's exciting for people. It certainly is exciting for me. And, you know, I don't think I don't think I've had a single email since I started doing this a couple months ago, which has said, you know, your podcasts are boring. <laughs> you know, there may be lots of things, long-winded, repetitive, jammed with way too many you-knows, uh, never-ending, uh, and uh, uh, with lots of pauses and the occasional slips from my coffee cup. But I don't think that they're, <laughs> that they're boring. And so I know a little bit about what it is to try and motivate somebody to, to think. And, of course, there is this <clears throat> complete lack of uh, self-criticism on the part of, uh, of teachers and teachers' unions, of course, right? Who knows about teachers? But, you know, this guy was saying to me, look, if, uh, if you could uh, simply uh, rouse yourself to a higher degree of effort, you would do much better in, in terms of marks. Never sort of questioning, well, why is this kid not uh, expending any effort, right? Isn't that sort of <laughs> your job? Right? I mean, it's sort of like if I'm a, um, uh, a manager, or I guess I am a manager, right? But if I'm a manager and my sole um, uh, contribution to an uh, underproducing employee who shows great potential is to say, you know, you just really you should, work, you should work harder. I mean, really, how difficult is that to say? You know, you should work harder. I mean, you could just put a tape recorder on that and say, well, you should work harder. And nobody, uh, nobody would respect that. As a manager, right? As a manager, you got to dig in and figure out what the blocks are and figure out how to make it worthwhile for people and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, as you can imagine, uh, what also happened with me in school was that, uh, particularly in England, not so much in Canada, but in England, I mean, I was always put into, you know, a self-directed activity, right? So there'd be all the, you know, regular, I sort of hesitate to say dunderheads, but it's not far off from that. All the regular kids would be in the class, and I was sort of writing short stories at the age of six and, you know, coming up with all these sort of ideas and, and drawings and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously had strong verbal skills and so on. And so what happened? Well, I was just, you know, here. <laughs> here's a book on grammar. Go teach yourself. Uh, here, here's two books to read. Go go read in a corner, and you can, um, uh, you can uh, uh, give me a book report later maybe. I mean, and that's just kind of funny when you think about it, right? I mean, <laughs> this is the level of teaching that you get in these kinds of institutions, right? You get the kind of teaching which is, you know, if you're sort of the dull average, then we'll sort of drone along like a bunch of sheep. But if you're not, right, if you're sort of high or low on the, on the, or sort of to either side of the bell curve, you just you jam you in a corner and you will just end up having to teach yourself because, you know, I can't conceivably accommodate you. Uh, in this kind of way, um, when I was in university, I also worked as a teacher's aide for a, a time uh, in a school in a class for gifted children. And really, in a more sophisticated way, it was just the same kind of nonsense. So, 
uh, for instance, you know, the, one of the things was, you know, make your own movie. You know, like what the hell does that have to do with learning anything? I mean, you know, write your own play. Well, about what? Based on what principles? Based on how do you, how do you construct a play? How do you know? Oh, it's just it's just nonsense, right? So you just get more sophisticated emptiness when you move up the sort of academic food chain, and that's sort of another thing that's very important. I remember when I was going into my master's as well. Oh boy, what did I do? I sat down and they said, "Well, what do you want to do?" I'm the thesis advisor. What do you want to do? Well, I want to prove that the uh, industrial revolution, the bias against the industrial revolution, is is irrational. So eyes widened. Oh, really? What else would you like to do? Well, you know, I've been thinking of doing this thing about how saying if you believe in uh, uh, higher realities that you end up having to advocate dictatorship as the ideal political model, and I want to prove that for a number of different philosophers along the um, the sort of rationalist slash irrationalist um, spectrum. Oh, and, and there was no response, right? You never get any response for this. Nobody even says, well, that's just ridiculous, right? They just sort of give you that thousand-yard stare and hope that you're going to become embarrassed and somehow put yourself down, right, through that process. Uh, and that is something that you see just so often. This uh, um, heavy-handed criticism is also very big in public schools, right? So you get um, uh, just unbelievable levels of, of hostility and criticism when you're just doing things that just make you as a kid a kid. And, you know, there's never any definition, right? So, I mean, one of the things that, that sadists or brutal systems will always do is, you know, criticize you heavily but never give you any reasons or any definitions, right? So it's an extension of the Catholic principle of um, uh, original sin, right? Why, why you're, you're evil. Why am I evil? You're breathing. Uh, really? I don't really get how that sort of makes sense, right? I mean, I, I don't really sort of understand that logically. Um, nonetheless, right? I mean, you're just a bad kid. In school, like in schools, you're just a bad kid, and sorry, but you just are, and it's because you've done something to disobey or these rules that just don't make any sense. You've just had the temerity to question them or anything, or to come up with any original thoughts or to go to outside sources than what the teacher is familiar with and so on. And, uh, you know, I just I remember in a... Uh, oh, I've already told that story about the class and racism, but uh, this is sort of important, right? I mean, that, that, that you really do face a sort of gut-level bedrock hostility towards curiosity and intellectual exploration. So, of course, nobody is... It, it, it is a kind of scholasticism, right? I mean, our schools have become exactly what, uh, you know, religious education was in the Middle Ages, where you're debating all of these nonsensical, empty definitions of words within the Bible for no particular progress or understanding or logic. I mean, that's exactly what our schools have become, is sort of empty wastes of time uh, to, to get a whole bunch of people paid, right? It's not that the teachers sort of wake up every morning and say, ah, oh, how am I going to be able to best destroy the, uh, the the minds of the youth of today? I mean, it's nothing like that. All that happens is that it's the logic of the situation, right? Um, it's not like everybody who ended up being a, a sort of prison camp, a prison camp guard in the Nazi world sort of woke up when they were kids and said, you know what I want to grow up to be is, you know, Hans the Butcher at uh, Treblanka. Um, no, this is just the logic of the situation and what ends up happening. Uh, so um, if you are taking money, if, if you are sort of the recipient of the blood money that comes from the state by force, you are going to be uh, very hard-pressed to ever talk about the state in, in honest terms, right? Which is why the old people, uh, never talk, old people never talk about the state in honest terms because they feel entitled to Social Security, right? So once you're on the receiving end, which is why the government wants to give money to people, not to help them, but to buy them... Um, <clears throat> Once you're on the receiving end of this kind of state uh, coercive blood money, 
you uh, you really can't uh, look at the state in any kind of honest or or uh, logical way. And so, you know, slowly what happens is, is you sort of swallow more and more illusions, and you're, you're overpaid for what it is that you're doing, and we know that they're overpaid because there's a union, and you get these two months off in the summer, which is a complete hangover from when kids were needed to do help with the, uh, the harvesting and the seeding, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, still carries on to this day because, heaven forbid, anything should be made convenient for the parents who are working. Um, so once you start to accept these kinds of benefits then um, you really don't have any uh, any choice but to reject sort of logic and moral and open interpretation. Um, so that's sort of another important aspect to, to understand about public school education, that it's not that every teacher is evil and wants to cripple the minds of children. It's just that by having been corrupted by state money and state privilege, they have no choice but to support it and to, to refuse to ever look at it logically or consistently. And that becomes more and more true the higher they move up in the hierarchy and the longer that they have um, they have worked there. So uh, so I've made it to the gym, so I guess we're going to close this one off, just so I'm not overburdening my delicate listener who uh, uh, doesn't want as much, uh, as much quantity as he does quality. Hopefully I can provide both. Um, so thanks as always for listening. Uh, I hugely appreciate it. Uh, every, uh, every time I get a chance to make a podcast, uh, I do it because I know that... Uh, people are listening and so uh, you know your participation in the conversation even if you never drop me a single line or vote for the quality of this podcast anywhere uh, your participation in the conversation is simply by being on the receiving end and I always and hugely appreciate that so I hope you're doing well and I will talk to you soon